1: Hello Essie, how are you? I'm all right Jane, how are you? thank you. Have you had a good week? Ooh, absolutely marvellous.
0: <laughs> good. I don't know
1: I've forgotten what's happened, but I know what's happening right now. I'm very excited because we've got Robin Maynard here, who's an environmentalist, and he's got loads of things to tell us about sustainability, about how we can make a better world, and I'm really excited.
2: Very nice to be with you. Thank you for the invitation.
1: Can you introduce yourself?
2: Properly. Oh, gosh, I'll try. So, yes, my name's Robin, Robin Maynard, and I've I've been really fortunate to work in the environment movement for many years. I've, I walked into Friends of the Earth as a volunteer back in, gosh, about 1985. And then, sadly, the next year, Chernobyl blew up, and and it sort of gave me a job trying to track the radioactive plume from, from, from that terrible disaster across the UK. But it, it led to me becoming part of friends of the earth and my my path was found so th- th- that set me on the right track i guess in a in a dark way silver silver lining to a black cloud
1: robin i remember meeting you when i first came to uh, yeah. london and when i first came i went i made friends with Trilby and um you know i just absolutely was so happy to arrive at uh, Trilby's ah. house and i think you were oh, a lodging with her
2: mum yeah 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 she rose, rose, was he a was, wonderful like, force long. oh rose oh yeah she's a sort of about this tall but but you wouldn't want to get on the wrong side of rose she was the most lovely person but i think i did do i think i took too many baths or something once and she gave me a pretty stiff talking to <laughs> you yeah. and know she was fabulous <laughs> and she she actually had a a burglar tried to break in one day and was sort of trying to get through door, and she just threw pots of jam at him until he disappeared you know She and she was having none of it and she, no she's an absolutely wonderful lady
1: <laughs> it really is I mean when I arrived at her house you know I the I mean I I was quite different to my family and you know I'd been on an anti-CN I'd, I'd been on a CND march um and you know I, I was a vegetarian and I got to Trilby's and I was like these are huh? my people <laughs> and then nothing it, lived upstairs I was like how yes, can this there you go. be
2: perfect Perfect.
1: Uh, <laughs> and so um yeah I remember you meeting um I know that you were very good friends with Trilby and um she used to tell me all about you and stuff and um I remember because Jane you you know Trilby don't you Trilby yes, and Shelley not very well
0: but yes I know them as fr- from from yes. meeting you
1: yeah and um well Trilby's mum Rosie had this amazing place mm. in Suffolk it was like to artist shack and uh, lots of strange things used to happen there. I mean, Trilby took me for the first time, and we lived on raspberries for a week. We we went on a strange diet. And then, when it was the full moon, she wheeled me round in um, a wheelbarrow naked. <laughs> <down> the <garden. laughs> and then, Robin, is this true? She, she told me that you stripped off, I think, oh, at Suffolk and ran into you I, I, naked.
2: Oh, probably. Yeah, I, I, so yes, it wouldn't surprise me at all. I don't remember being in a wheelbarrow, but, but uh, no, when one <laughs> must be close to nature. When I was lucky enough to work at the Soil Association was talking to growers and they say and there is actually scientific evidence you've got to get your hands in the earth because you'll know mm-hmm. this because you're, you're both gardeners and you and there are little microbes which actually work with our immune system you know actually mm-hmm. a peck of dirt is really useful for us you know we've got too clean and sterilized everything and you know antibiotics in your chopping boards it's bonkers you know we actually need to have that sort of Connection with nature and and interaction with it because that makes us healthier, you know, mentally, physically, and I would say spiritually too, you know.
0: Yes, because there is so much talk, isn't there? I remember my auntie, my 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 auntie and my mum were great gardeners, but my mum used to always chastise my auntie for not wearing gloves when she was gardening, uh, because she'd probably read something in the Daily Mail that
2: said
0: you shouldn't. And you shouldn't use your bare hands.
2: I mean, you have to be careful as well, I suppose. Mm. But I I, I just really remember that podcast when Mark Rylance took Indra out to the forest ahead of, you know, the cast getting ready for Jerusalem, Mm. which I was really privileged to see years ago at the Royal Court and was just blown away by it. But, you know, his whole thing of being in the forest, I mean, that is... We now call it, I mean, the Japanese have a name for it called Shinrin-yoku, which means forest bathing, and it is just being in all the sort of whatever the f- trees exude, they make you feel better,
3: mm. and, it's,
2: and it's like, a, it is natural healing, you know, and and... It is a natural health service, I guess, isn't it, in a way?
0: But how, how Robin, do we encourage a wider population to go into the forest rather than uh, being on their computers or playing a video game?
2: Yeah, I mean, brilliant question. I mean, the, 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 um actually I should never say brilliant question all the do you know have you noticed they always say that on the radio now it's almost like a way of trying to disarm the interview so oh very good question please don't <laughs> ask anything difficult no but um there, there are some really positive things happening so I mean my little girl at her at her school they've been doing forest schools you know so they're so and it's a state school you know and, and they take the children out into you know, a patch of woodland or just a bit of green space near to them. And they just do stuff out, you know, in in the wood. And it's uh, that isn't something which is too distant or detached from anybody. You know, a park is perfectly good. You know, there are they're not wild spaces, but they are wilder spaces. I just heard a lovely lady called Mary Colwell. She has been working to get uh, sort of nature studies back onto the curriculum. Schools have to teach it and i lived in you know what was quite a small village way back in in north wales and i remember my class teacher miss allison i remember she's such a you know lovely kind lady and she would take us to the local park for for, you know to go and look at the ponds and things i thought wow i can really remember i mean i'm 64 now and i can remember it you know and so we're not all privileged enough to have gardens or green spaces particularly in cities but anything, you know, you will know this, anything you can grow and anything you can encourage children to grow, you know, whether it's cress or sunflowers or anything, I think just starts sowing those seeds, is not it, I guess?
1: You know what though, Robin, like, you know, when you sort of say that simple message, I mean, I'm, I always think, you know, it's like breaking things down so people can understand stuff and, you know, I wanted to ask you um, a lot about the sustainability thing in a minute, but... You know, when you say there's microbes in the soil that help you. So and, and there's also you get a sense of if you go into a forest, then it is it's like a natu- it's like a natural health service. I mean, it's simple, isn't it, breaking it down into those sort of terms. And you think, well, why isn't
2: that message going out to people in simple terms? I mean, you're doing it through, you know, talking about bees and, and allotment holding. And, you know, but I think, you know, the likes of Jamie Oliver with his work on school meals, Hugh Fernie Whittingstall and stuff. You know, there's been some really good TV folk, celebrities, if you like, who've pushed the message out. And, you know, the media is incredibly important. And, to get messages out on but the media at times doesn't want to talk about certain things I can promise you it doesn't want to talk about population which is my issue because they're oh dear he, he probably hates people and wants to kill a lot I don't I've got two daughters I love people I want them to have a better life and I want to I want them to live on a on a world which is full of all the things I grew up with and more you know butterflies bees
0: how do we stop people from reading them Robin
2: <laughs> well, we don't need you. I mean, we obviously need some of us, don't we? yeah oh, reading,
0: <laughs> reading so much.
2: Yeah. Well, the, the truth is that there are hundreds of millions of of women and and girls in the world who who don't have the choice over how many children they have when, as most of us in the in in the rich developed world do. You know, we we are really fortunate to have the technology of contraception, which allows women to have agency and autonomy and choice over their fertility and bodies you know so they you know they're not just well you know breeders they they, they have mm-hmm. life opportunities and all the other things that you know people rightly want but in some parts of the world that isn't the case mm-hmm. and it, it's enabling those women to have that choice to make that choice it's not about saying don't have children. say you know if you want to have a smaller family, and 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 most of the the women I've met in you know, whether it's in the slums of, of Nairobi or parts of India or Malays, you know they they want to have choice over their family size, and they want their mm. children to have opportunities. And it's pretty hard when you've got five, six, seven, eight kids and not enough income coming in to to enable that. So enabling women to have that choice, enabling modern safe contraception universally alongside education because again many hundreds of millions of girls are not getting into secondary education they they may have primary education but secondary education so then they can become you know mistresses of their destiny they they have that choice and autonomy and agency it also makes them more able to be active in in terms of Dealing with the challenges of things like climate change, because they're they're informed, they're active in their community, they're you know they're putting pressure on politicians, they're demanding things, so it's just a win-win solution. And uh, on top of that, if we can enable people to have smaller families, both in the rich world and the developing world, that will stabilize our population, and it will have a huge impact on climate change. It's actually the the number three solution to reducing greenhouse gases. But you won't hear the likes of Friends of the Earth or Greenpeace or most of the NGOs talking about it because they're really nervous, you know, of mm. being accused of telling people not to breed. We don't do that. We try to offer choices. And we also, you know, particularly here I am in, you know, Bristol in England, we have to consume less because it's our responsibility to take the heat off the planet, you know, because one of us is equivalent to 16, 20 people in Nigeria or you know sub-Saharan Africa because our consumption is so is so great so it's a real balance you know
1: but how do you get that message across?
2: We've just launched a campaign this week actually just trying to reduce. The, the upgrades of everything. So we, we've, you know, particularly on on phones, you know, mobile phones, you know, we, we're encouraged we must have the latest model of this. I mean, my phone is far more sophisticated than anything I know how to do with it. It's got far more stuff on it than I'll ever use. But it's like the phone that we've we've upgraded from probably had another 10, 20 years of life in it, mm. but we have got to have a new one. And the same with, you know, it's marketing and advertising. We're just promoting, you know, Trash to people, which they don't need. And it's and the amount of, you know, you think about the amount of money goes into advertising products and the amount mm-hmm. of money that goes into advertising Greenpeace's work or Friends of the Earth's work or WW, it's minimal. It's not our fault. We are assaulted with this incredibly sophisticated relentless promotion to buy stuff and that we'll feel better if we have the latest X, Y, Z or whatever. It doesn't equal happiness.
0: And it's getting that message across, yeah. isn't it? That actually um, this, this doesn't resolve problems. Yeah. Having, having the latest phone or the latest car. Totally. Doesn't actually, um, and that's, that's the message that, you know, sort of getting back to nature and getting back to the simpler things in life actually might um, you know, resulting in a happier society. Uh, but again, it's, it is getting that message across. Yeah. that We just don't need this. And with social media, it's very difficult to to get that message across because the message on social media is very much you've got to keep up with everything, and um, and you've got to be a flash Harry, really, yeah. um, to be anybody.
2: And that's a really difficult thing, isn't it, to, to get celebrity influences who are influencing less is more, you know, that, that actually you don't need all the bling, you know, you don't need to get into a private jet to fly 10 miles to pick up, you know, all that sort of bonkers stuff we've seen on social media. You don't need the great big car. You know, actually, it's much cooler to be, oh, you know, it's settled in yourself and in your community and with your fre- – these things which sort of – which are not tangible things, you know, they're, they're more – they're more sort of connections. I mean, one of the happiest country—I think it is the happiest country in the world—is Costa Rica on the happiness index, and mm. and there it's a really—I I really want to go to Costa Rica. I know you know I obviously have to think about my air miles and and all you know how to offset that, etc. But they were in a very poor state about sixty years ago. They had massive deforestation. Uh, they're 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 yeah. You know, Income per head was really low. They were one of the they had one, they were the highest fertility rate, so the number of kids were being born per woman was really high. They were in a really bad state, <clears throat> and it was actually a forester who was trying to understand why so much of the native forest was being cut down by the by the people. And he had the he had the sense, you know, which is you know, aren't always there to talk to the community, to talk to the, the women, say, Well, why, why are you doing all this? And they said, Well, because we've got so many kids. We have to clear land to feed them. You know, we don't want to have such big families. And phew, light bulb moment. And he worked with the local community and equally with the Catholic Church on the ground, which was cool, to provide Ooh. the contraception those women wanted. They did other things as well, but Over the past 60 years, they've turned Costa Rica around. So their fertility rate is really low. They're having, you know, just about replacement level. Um, Their income has gone up. It's it's like 10 times what it was um, 60 years ago. And they've regenerated 70% of their forest. And they are sort of ecotourism destination of the world. And they're one of the happiest places in the world. So it's like you can do it. And countries like that really make you, think yes 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 with the right policies you know and the right leadership rather than some of the interesting folk we have around at the moment who don't seem to have any long-term vision you know sort of short-termism and oh
0: I mean I mean I think Greta Thunberg was such a, a brilliant
2: yeah. influence and
0: uh, uh because she was so young
2: exactly. but
0: you know even her frustration was was uh, you know apparent at just not not getting anywhere I mean you know young people did get on board but um the politicians
2: didn't particularly get on board it's it's hard to make the change when people are you know because politicians have control over the levers of power and it's how you Mm -hmm. enable them to change I mean politicians are largely behind the public it seems to me they they follow you know particularly at the moment because they follow what oh there's the oh yes yeah, suddenly we'll get excited you know we, we'll we'll support that and 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 that sort of that's tragic because they claim to be leaders but they're not they're they're followers so they can they can be influenced and I think you know if children are very powerful because although you know. Adults can be paternalistic and dismiss them. It's also embarrassing for them if they are confronted by a child just telling the truth in in a way that, you know, no disrespect to Greta, but she was a child when she started speaking her truth, Mm. you know. And that made it very uncomfortable for for some of those grown-ups, you know, when she addressed the UN, for example. But it's then translating it into action and making them actually do something about it. And it seems like we absolutely know what to do, but we we're not doing it fast enough, or, you know. And, and there was a god, there was a brilliant interview on. It was on the Today programme. I won't say the presenter because it would embarrass him. But it was at the time when you know COVID had been going on, etc. And there was a young girl who was you know set to be doing her GCSEs, and the presenter said, "Oh, you must be, you know, it must be really awful being out of school, and you're worried about your exams." And she said well, yeah, I'd really like to be... Oh, no, it was because it wasn't COVID. It was that heat wave, that incredible heat wave on school. (laughs) And she said, well, yeah, you know, yeah, it is. You know, it's a a real shame with my exams. But actually, what I really worried about is we should be changing our lifestyles to deal with this. And he just laughed (laughs) at her. And it wasn't a laughter of a nasty laugh. It was laughter, (laughs) I don't sort of understand what you're saying. Oh, 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 as if it was an absurd thing. She's absolutely nailed it. We (laughs) have to change our lifestyles. And no politician dares say that. I mean, what is our, our dear new government saying? Growth, growth, growth. It's growth which has got us into this jam. It's, yeah. This is where we're at. And, all, and say, oh, we'll deal with the environment when the economy is growing. There won't be a flipping mm-hmm. economy if you don't have an environment, guy.
3: There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care.
1: You know, I think it takes people like you and people who, you know, proper leaders who have got, are ahead of the time, who've got new ideas. That's what we're looking for. But everybody's sort of getting, understands what sustainability is, or do they? They know this word, sustainability. I mean, you know, hope, hopefully people are understanding it more, you know, but it's not really in the news every yeah. day. It's, it's, it, it needs to be in the news every day, doesn't it? It needs, yeah, it needs to be the forefront of the news Every day yeah. And also well, well, the
2: sustainability that. report, shouldn't there? Like you know, like there's a. Yeah. There's a oh, now we're going to we're going to do business report. Now we're going to do sports. Yeah. Now we do weather. Well, let's do sustainability. Well, I'm sorry, folks, we're in a bit of a difficult situation. You know like there's this wonderful um, organization called the Global Footprint Net- Network, and they each year they have something called Earth Overshoot Day, where they've calculated when all of us collectively, all humanity has used up everything the Earth can provide for us renewably in a year. And when it first started in like 1970, 71, Earth Overshoot Day fell on like the 29th of December. So we were almost, as a species, as a race across the world, in balance with the Earth's resources. I think this year it fell into around August or July. So it's, you know, we are well overshot. So if, if everybody... Um, lived like we do in the UK on average we'd need about 1.8 Earths. so you know that's we haven't got them have we if we all live mm. like Americans we would need five and it's like yeah and there are some people you know who are living below so you know so in you know I'm in India although there's an awful lot of people there they don't consume a huge amount so they're within mm. balance but it's like overall we're out of balance and some of us are taking too much and we need to you know we need to we, we need to I mean, of it, reduce so others can increase and you know, have more, as fairer shares of, of what the planet can, you know, you know, as an allotment holder, you can't get more out of the earth than you put in, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, it's interesting, this, um, the fuel crisis. And so, uh, you know, kind of energy costs going up. It's interesting um, how that is going to affect people because everybody's going into panic right now, even though the government are, are trying to help out. But the idea of putting a jumper on mm. <laughs> instead of turning the heat up, and we don't need to have such hot houses. Uh, so it, it will be interesting how people do deal with that. Certainly, environmentally, it's going to be better, isn't it? Not using as much fuel.
2: Yeah, and and it's, you know, of course, we have to look after people who are fuel poor and and are not going to you know are going to really suffer from not being able to heat their homes or you know, and, and afford the, the gas, oil, electricity, et cetera. You cetera. Know, but, but that's perfectly manageable. But, you know, w- what we've done, you can hear it in the government's announcements, there's no thought about managing demand. It's all about increasing supply. OK, so we're going we're gonna to get fracking again, you know, which is probably the yeah. stupidest suggestion from the new business secretary you could ask for. Uh, he doesn't believe in climate change either. So Jacob Rees-Mogg, climate denier, You know, let's get fracking. Oh, great. The environment is completely shoved aside. No long term vision, no understanding Uh. of the real riches of the earth, just Uh. business, a a really narrow business mind rather than a smart, sustainable business mind Mm -hmm. in which there are, thank God, many more. But yes, you know, so it's like, well, okay, let's insulate people's homes better. That's going to create lots more jobs. You know, that's easy to do. And that's really positive. And it's, you know people mm-hmm. will see the benefit. Yeah, put a jumper on. I mean that's great. It's made out of wool, a natural natural product. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, that'll make a lot of sheep farmers happy as well.
0: Exactly. So it's trying to trying to make wool popular again. But I mean, it's <laughs> getting those fashion icons, isn't it, to to promote stuff yeah. like that, and also you know all this throwaway fashion as well, which is so so detrimental to the environment. Um, you know, to get kids interested in. Um, you know, sort of, well, uh, shopping at, at uh, charity shops for a start, and mm. um, where, where you, which is is great because you you can get one offs there. I mean, which are far more interesting than things that everybody can get. But the kind of primarks of this world, where you know, cheap fashion is is just, I mean, that that is just such a a massive no no for the environment, isn't it? Um, and it's get getting people to, because it's cheap, to think about why it's cheap.
2: Yeah, and it, it, it's also, I think it, so much of it comes back to how h- how to make us happier and more content, because, you know, I know from myself, you know, that I'll buy something and it sort of gives me that rush. I feel better for, you know, like half an hour. Oh, yeah, that's great. I've got a new shirt. Mm-hmm. I feel, oh, it's lovely. You know, I feel cool again, you know, whatever. And then, then it sort of disappears. Now... It says that you know there's a real difference between quality of life and standard of living. You know, standard of living is about stuff, and quality of life seems to me about how we feel about ourselves and our connections with people. And again, you know, a real example came to me because I was obviously trying to you know. I wanted to make sure that I, I I might say, have some interesting things to say to you on this podcast rather than just be a really sort of worthy old environmentalist, you know, wearing his hair shirt and telling people don't buy anything and don't do anything, <laughs> and, you know, just live in a cave, you know, I, I promise you I try not to be like that, but I was really lucky for at one point, I was, I sort of was briefly working for, for the BBC and I was sent off an assignment to, because I'd done environmental stuff, I was sent up to, into Malaysia, upriver. Firstly, to try and allegedly to look at sustainable logging, which the government was trying to promote. And we pretty quickly found out that it wasn't terribly sustainable. Um, but then I sort of disappeared and, and went off piece and, and um, met up with some activists who took me up to meet some of the the tribal peoples up in, in, in Sarawak. And, and I lived in a longhouse with these people for not very long, about a week. But it was amazing because it's like it's the wooden log house and it's almost like terraced houses they're all sort of joined together and they have their big log their wooden platform outside but the roof space is open so you can hear all the noises from all the different households and uh, you sort of go to bed and you hear the whole community going down you know, going to sleep and I just, uh, I know, and in the morning you wake up and you all, you all wake up together and they, and because I was, you know, this weird Western person had turned up. They all came to meet me, and I had to buy a huge fish from the river, which was rather alarming, which which was I was happy to buy. And then I was offered the eye to eat, which which I didn't feel too keen on, but I felt I'd better eat it, so I did. And, <laughs> and um, uh, but then amazingly, in in, in they, their community was so connected, and uh, we were all sleeping in the same room, so the whole family slept in the room upstairs, including the. The daughter and her boyfriend who appeared, and you know, they started making love. And it was like, this is just incredible. You know, this is, and nobody was freaked out about it. And it just seemed the most natural thing in the world. And but the getting on to the perhaps the real point story, but they they, these, this community could, it was the ultimate flat pack, they could take the longhouse down. And when they sort of exhausted the resources immediately in the area where they, you know, the soil was needed resting they would take the whole thing down and move to another part of the forest and set it up again and I thought that amazing but they were so happy and they didn't have a lot of stuff I mean of course I was I had a fairly narrow perspective you know I didn't speak the language so it's what I saw and I'm sure like any community there were things going on which perhaps weren't ideal but it was such a contrast to the modern Malaysian life and yet the government was trying to stop it because they were independent and resilient, and they had this thing called Vision Twenty Twenty, where everybody would live in homes on their own. Then they become good little consumers and good little, you know, citizens, and they would do what mainstream societies do, and then they could clear their land for planting palm oil. It was like fish cakes, you know. See what's happening here? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Do you, um,
1: Robin, I've been um, well. We, me and Jane, have been you know finding out from a lot of different beekeepers as well about sustainable beekeeping you know and you know is it sustainable to keep bees in london at the rate that you know people are doing and you know so there's a big sort of movement at the moment about mm. sustainable beekeeping and you know what what does it mean for a country like ours to to be farming sustainably and or how can people find out about what that means and why it's good
2: we're not generally sustainable farming sustainably we used to be because the most of the farms what they call mixed farms so you'd have a range of different crops and you would have livestock as well and you would rotate them so you're doing what those Mm -hmm. forest people do you're resting parts of the land letting it fallow let it regenerate and you know growing crops which would help nutrients come back into the soil or animals manure you know fertilizing the ground and stuff and you had to have hedgerows for that because you had livestock so nature came just as sort of as an added benefit, you know, there was stuff and they weren't using quite they weren't using so many pesticides. So nature just came as part of the of the system. You know, you didn't have to pay farmers money for countryside stewardship or environmental land management. It was just there. And we, and of course, then we shifted from from mixed farming to specialised farming. So either you were purely, you know, a beef or sheep farmer, or a, or a dairy farmer, or an arable farmer. Now, of course, some parts of the country have advantages. So the southwest, you know, lots of quite wet, lots of grass, good good for cattle and and, and sheep things. East more arable, but they were still mixed, and they would still have rotations. But we've just we've gone away from that. So it's much more simplified. And and what again, the, after the Second World War, First World War as well. Things which have been used in explosives or poison gases were ironically turned to hand for farming. So pesticides derive from gases that were used in the First World War to kill people and fertilisers came out of explosives, so nitrogen. And, and you know, it, it, that's a crude thing, but it's sort of we're now waging war on the land And equally, what have we done with animals? We pump them full of antibiotics so we can keep millions of them in close confines. Well, strangely, what happens? They then, the bugs that you're trying to kill become resistant to the antibiotics. So then the antibiotics become less effective. And whoa, even more stupid, we were using the same family of antibiotics we were using in human medicine. So we have we have dangerously narrowed the range of antibiotics, which were crucial things in very severe cases of human medicine but then we've had outbreaks of diseases which are resistant so there was a form of mrsa which which developed in intensive pig farms in 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 uh, denmark those are the sort of warning signs we've gone away from this mixed diverse system with lots of different things happening to simplified systems and then they cause us problems we need these sort of cordon sanitaire and this this buffer and barrier of nature to protect us from certain things and to stimulate our immune systems in a benign way, rather than if we make the division so strong, it's going to come back and bite us pretty hard in the backside. You know, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: if if I was mayor of London, the first thing I'd do would say every rooftop must be a green roof. We will Mm -hmm. have solar panels on some of the office buildings and we'll have green roofs where nature, where all the land we've taken below will be replicated on the rooftops. And we'll have wonderful green roofs and vertical walls with plants in them. And we will make this the greenest city in the world. And that will make people happy. It will bring nature in and it will reduce the heat of the city in the summer. Uh, it will just make it a much better place. You know, But the, that's a
1: the- wonderful vision, isn't it? And it makes you feel really happy inside. <laughs> You looked out to your rooftops, your neighbours and everybody had, you know, house leaks on the roof and, and you know, and everybody was growing green roofs everywhere. Yeah. If the government was saying, well, OK, we're going to give you a grant, you know, for £500 to put a green wall on you on the side of your house and you've got yeah. to look after it. And if you do, then you'll get... A half price one the following year and they're doing it in
2: germany they've, they've got those vertical i mean i've seen it where they've and they're recycling their water so they, they so the dirty well, not blue water but you know just washing water stuff goes up to the top of the building and then they've got these sort of like they're like sort of fiberglass pods down the down the you know the tower block and the water comes through a you know, series of whether it's sort of reeds and rushes and different sort of plants which filter the water step by step. step By step, by the time it's hit the bottom, it's clean and can be reused again, you know, for washing hands or flushing the yeah. loo. So, and it's like, this, yeah. is, this is such brilliant bioengineering. This is learning yeah. from nature, you know. So this is not about saying, oh, everything natural is perfect and humans are terrible. It's, no, humans are incredibly able to, to adapt to their environment. And, but we could do it in such a good way. One of the things around, you know, we've had just had obviously the, the Queen's um, memorial service and all, all the, the uh, around that. But I just saw that headline where where they the Queen's beekeeper had to go and tell her bees that you know their monarch had died and and, and that she was ultimately the queen of the bee of the, all the bees at you know Buck House and Sandringham. I, I mean, I, I guess you must talk to your bees.
1: Yeah, I always talk to the bees. In fact, when I lifted the um, The lid off yesterday because I just had to remove um, some wax that had had, had formed where I didn't want it to and I thought if I take it off now I can make candles um, later on so I I took the wild comb off and there in the lid was the queen she was there at the top and I thought oh look at that I've never seen the queen in the lid you know she'd obviously come up through the little crown board hole and there she was so I thought, God, I better, better tell you then what's been going on in the world I mean, since I saw you last. So um, I did tell her of all the things that have been happening, and um, and then she went back down, back into the brood box.
2: Brilliant! <laughs> it's it's <laughs> so wonderful that I mean i I often think you know there, there was something in the news again about that scientists are sort of thinking they're deciphering the language of whales and that we might be able to communicate if if we could only. I mean, often I've sort of, if only we could communicate, you know, rather like Dr. Doolittle to the, mm. the animals, what they might tell us. I mean, I often think we'd be so humbled. You know, I remember going to Bristol Zoo, which I don't, it's moved now, but I never felt terribly comfortable. They, they got big, they had big, like gorillas there, and the gorillas would sort of look at you and they just turned their back on you. And I thought, yeah, I, I completely understand it. You know, yeah. I feel ashamed mm. that you should mm. be in this situation. I, I know they probably, were well looked after. It was all for conservation, but it seemed mm. we have so much to be ashamed of, and we mm-hmm. could learn. I mean, like talking to your bees. You know, good farmers talk to their their animals. They they treat them. Yeah. You know, yes, those animals may go to slaughter, but they treat them with great kindness. so there's a lovely farm I used to visit um, in in Worcestershire, and um, the the family who ran it. They're quite pretty well known, but they treated their livestock so kindly. They knew all the animals by. Name, you know, the animals would come to talk to them, and you know, I was being shown round the the farm by by the it was the matriarch, she was the mother of the family. He'd farmed there for years, and her her son and daughter now farmed it. And then all the rooks were gathering. It's oh yeah, the rooks and they're, they're having their their chat at the end of the day now, and it's the <laughs> most natural thing. You know, there wasn't any sort of sense of oh, this is hippy dippy shit. You know, this is mm. this is the rhythm of nature, and yeah, we respect yeah. it, we take from it. But we do it respectfully and when we, those animals are taken to be killed to, for meat they're done it is done with kindness and they would only t- and that's again they would be taken to a small avatar abattoir, abattoir which again they've tended to go so now they're big abattoirs and i've been to an abattoir which was a good abattoir but it's still a you know it's a salutary experience to see so many animals being slaughtered i think if you do eat meat and i do You need to see it. You need to take responsibility and and be aware of what your decision is and are you comfortable with it?
0: Really, do we need to carry on eating meat, killing things? Because ultimately it is killing. We do treat animals appallingly. And whether you're witnessing killing animals Mm. before you eat them or not, it is killing them. And yeah. w- what
2: gives us the right to be doing that? I'm, I, I completely understand what you're saying, Jane. And my, my wife is a is a is a vegetarian. I'm not I mean, I work for the Soil Association, which is organic food and farming. And and and, and so and, and I, I, I'm i not I'm not trying to tell you you're wrong or, or, or I'm right. It's just how I sort of accommodated it. But um, the the mixed farming with livestock can be done. To me, it it, it is potentially. Imp- there are areas where you know you could say we could gr- surely we should grow crops. So there are areas where you know you can't grow food easily for humans, but you can grow grass or you can grow a rough type of vegetation like they do on some of these new rewilding places like Napa State and so forth. And so animals can then take advantage of you know solar energy and what's grown to produce protein. And 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 you know, I personally I think that that potentially is beneficial. But if you but in terms of wildlife, you know, one of the most wonderful sites I've seen is, is a traditional herd of Herefords. And they're, the old, they're not the sort of you know, upbred ones. They're the old, hefty old Herefords. Mm. And they're staggering through rough old grazing, nice old grazing, you know, herb-rich. And that, as they scuff through the grass, all these insects are coming up and the swallows are skimming around their heels, getting there. And that there's the sort of balance, you know. And, you know, when I was young and you know, we went out for a, you know, a drive from our edge of town or, 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 or village to the countryside, one of my jobs when I got home was to clean all the insects off the windscreen and off the yeah, headlamps because there were mm. so many. Mm. You know, you get absolutely none now. You know, they've yes, gone, true. they've gone. And, 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 you know, it makes me cry. I mean, I used to collect butterflies and moths to my dad and he you know again he had this weird mixture he made which would draw moths down in the night we had a white sheet with a light binner and we'd have these amazing moths yeah and i'm afraid we killed them and stuck pins with them and put them into a cabinet Mm -hmm. but in about the night some like in the mid 1970s we both we or my dad we stopped and it was like unspoken but it's just there just weren't so many and it was just like this isn't right anymore and it was sort of it was a really sort of You know i sort of getting quite emotional Because it was a real Wake up call It's like something Which had seemed An innocent pastime And in a way Was sustainable Because there was Such a plenty it Just wasn't acceptable Anymore You know They just They just weren't there
1: We need Robin <laughs> We need Robin To, <laughs> well, to be on Channel 4 News <laughs> With his sustainability And here After Before oh. the weather and well, here good, good
2: luck with, with that oh, yeah. with oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you
0: And I, I just wanted to ask before we go, because I think it's quite an important question. Um, what do you think about Extinction Rebellion?
2: Ah, oh, yeah, I, I really like Extinction Rebellion because they're a fresh energy um, and it was needed. And, you know, I'm an old environmentalist. And I think one of the most delicious ironies was that Extinction Rebellion occupied Greenpeace's offices at one point to sort of say, you're not the radical guys anymore, you know, and I grew up, I was absolutely inspired by Greenpeace, you know, when they went in front of the, of the whalers, they put themselves in harm's way in front of those explosive harpoons. And they you know, there were these sort of wild haired, you know, blokes and girls in wetsuits and, you know, challenging these maniacs, firing explosive harpoons, at these wonderful animals. But then suddenly, you know, we all have our time and our cycles. It's like, okay, Greenpeace, you've done a great job, Somebody else who stood on your shoulders is taking it to the next level. I, I think Extinction Rebellion great. I find some of it a, a, a little bit tiring because I think you should take note of who came before you. It wasn't all hopeless. If it hadn't been for all our forebears, we wouldn't be where we are today. And, and so I think there's a bit more credit to be given to the, to the great work of you know, Friends of the Earth, Greenpeace, Worldwide Fund for Nature, etc., cetera, etc., cetera who were dealing with much darker forces and being treated with contempt and dismissed as hopeless hippies. So we have to keep moving forward, but we should should learn from from others who have come before us. That's my only slight question.
0: And do you think this sort of level of destruction that they kind of cause or attempting to cause is actually the way forward to make people, you know, to inconvenience people in their lives so they do actually think about... Um, about the environment in a serious
2: sort of way I wouldn't be gluing myself to the roof of a commuter tube I think that's not smart I think and you just have to be you know it, they need to be really well thought through such that they are proportionate and justified but you you know one does have to be a spanner in the works and I, I've I've always take taken sort of Heed from a from an a, an old lady I saw at the Newbury bypass who just walked up to the police lines, the security lines, and pushed through them, and they did not w- know what to do with her. You know, the rest of us all being barged out of the way, and I went to talk to her afterwards and said wow that was so brave and she said well I've always I've always wanted to make it always chosen to make a positive nuisance of myself that's been my and I thought <laughs> wow that is the perfect mantra you know so I think one uh, unfortunately because things are so critical I completely understand one has to disrupt people's you know routines and not to wake us up but yeah. but it's it's a fine balance of pissing them off so that they yeah you know down here I
0: get it, yes mm, Yeah, yeah, interesting Okay, thank you
2: Robin
0: Oh, thank you So, if you
1: Everybody out there Wants to make a positive Nuisance of themselves You, well Just enjoy it Here, <laughs> here. Well, thanks Robin It was just so nice To have you on And God, I mean You're just like a mine Of information And interesting things and just
0: (laughs) I see you waffling now (laughs) (laughs) thank you Robin
2: thank you it's been a great opportunity and a real pleasure and then yeah It's, it's much more it's just lovely to have a discussion and, and a dialogue that, that's just been really enjoyable so thank you
1: queen bees is written and created by esther coles and jane horrocks it is produced by claire Broughton and andy goddard and partly recorded at the hives on my allotment near crouch end in london our title music is Sweet Nothing by Amy Mae Ellis and Will Cookson. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Queen Bees Pod for pictures and videos from The Hive. Queen Bees is a hat-trick podcast.